0: Do you think it's safe to ask them? Hear me, all you hosts gathered here! <laughs> Kill everyone now! Condone first-degree murder! Advocate cannibalism! Eat shit!
1: Well, I think we're about ready. Quiet, everyone! Felt are my politics. Felt
0: is my life
2: from the whispers of the damned, deep within the bowels of hell. Welcome to Astro Radio Z.
0: Yeah
3: just one place to go for all your spatula needs spatula city a giant warehouse of spatulas for every occasion thousands to choose from in every shape size and color we eliminate the middleman and we can sell all our spatulas factory direct to you where do you go when you want to buy name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cross spatula city and this weekend only take advantage of our special liquidation sale Buy nine spatulas and get the 10th one for just one penny. Don't forget, they make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with a gift of a spatula. Spatula City, Spatula City. Hello, this is Cy Greenbloom, president of (laughs) Spatula City. I like spatulas so much, I bought the company. Seven Don't locations. you know the Dewey Swiss arm. Um. Coming this Saturday to U62, Conan the Librarian.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: I'm sorry, these books are a little late. My, f- my my favorite my favorite is still Gandhi too. Yeah, give me a steak, medium no, rare. No more, Mister <laughs> Passive Resistance. He's out to kick some butt. Oh, one bad mother, you don't want to mess with. <laughs> hey, Baldy, there's only one law. His law. <laughs> Gandhi, oh too. My
0: God,
2: That movie, I remember going to the theater when I was mm. a kid. My uncle took Shane and I, my brother Shane and mm. I, to the theater to see that. And I have legitimately worshipped that movie ever since. <laughs> no matter. It is just so juvenile. Everything about it is just so stupid. But I don't know. I can. I laugh. Every fucking time they open that supply closet and they all go, surprise!
3: <laughs> I, it's a thing of beauty because he got that thing to wide release. And it's you're right. It's so ridiculous, but it's just so much fun. And all these years um. later, Mark, you and I can
2: sit here for five minutes and literally recite almost all the lines it's still fucking funny
3: it is it's still hilarious it's one of those great comedies that uh you know the jokes are coming and that's even worse sometimes because you start laughing before the jokes even finish because you know the punchline already and and it's just it's a fun sweet ridiculous film that he somehow got made and got a budget behind it. And it's just fun. It's a sweet film. It's got a, yeah, cheesy hokey ending, but it's a fun ending. It's the way you want it. It it is. Like you said, it's shocking to me that anyone gave
2: him a dollar to make that movie. I mean, the movie's essentially Kentucky fried movie and airplane. Oh yeah. You know, it's a Zucker brothers type movie, but, uh, that rolls into the movie that we're talking about here tonight on the episode, Mark. Absolutely. How's up? Oh my God. Uh, this was recommended by Adam Carlson. He wanted us to do some Japanese horror movies. And one of the movies he threw out there was this film. Now, I've seen this movie quite a number of times. Was this a first-time view for you, Mark? Uh, When you first suggested it to me, yes, it was. (laughs) I cannot imagine what that experience was like. Um, But before we get to our general thoughts on House, let's give a brief little history lesson and synopsis as to what this movie is.
0: House.
2: House is a Japanese psychedelic spook show haunted house movie that was made in 1977 by uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi. He was a commercial director, and for many years, he tried to get this movie made. Now, this movie House, he wrote along with his daughter. And most of the sequences in the film were based off of many nightmares and fears that she had. And then he interjected some of his own sensibility into the script itself. Now, the script toiled around for almost two years before this movie was made, mostly because Toho bought the script outright from him and every single director they had in their stable passed on this movie because they thought it would end their careers.
3: (laughs) It is Japan we're talking about. So, right,
2: right. I mean, this is this movie's way out of left field. Now, the script in the meantime, in those two years became a popular manga and also was an extremely popular radio play. And after two years, Toho finally was like, "Okay, Obayashi, go ahead and make this thing. They gave him some money. They didn't have a lot of faith that this movie would do well, but they allowed him to film this on the biggest sound stages that they had at their disposal. Now, Toho at the time were a huge studio. You can tell when you watch this movie that. Holy crap. Did he have a lot of money put behind him or at least a lot of resources to do the most zany, crazy ass fucking shit possible? So what house is, is the story of a schoolgirl that decides to go on a weekend vacation with her friends to her elderly aunt's house after finding out that her widowed father has decided after eight years to start a new life with a new woman. She's not very happy about this. She kind of runs off, pissed off at the dad. Finally, she gets her ragtag group of friends, like a girl gang. Each of them have their own weird name that basically is like a one-dimensional name that describes their singular personality trait. You have one that's named Fantasy that's a daydreamer. You have one named Gorgeous. This is their main lead. Uh, She's called Gorgeous because of her beauty. You have Mac because she likes to eat. And I'm guessing that's a reference to macaroni. Yep. Then we have Kung Fu, who is the <laughs> girl who knows martial arts. And every time she comes on screen, you hear, you hear a very stereotypical Japanese martial arts song. It almost was. It was really ridiculous. And uh, we have Melody, who plays the piano. And finally, Sweet, who's the nice one. Now, upon all these girls taking the weekend off from their boarding school or their school, they reach the aunt's house that's way off in the hills. And slowly it becomes apparent that not as all as it seems when one by one of her friends start to become possessed and consumed by a malevolent spirit that is the house. So, Mark, having said all of this, what were your
3: first impressions of (laughs) how I, you know, it was one of those things where if I wasn't that familiar and I'm not saying I'm an expert by any means, but if I wasn't that familiar with Asian cinema, I think this really would have been a shock to the system. Uh, I I found it hilarious and entertaining and oh my God, it's so batshit crazy. It's like ideas fly at you a mile a minute. And this felt definitely like one of those films where nobody said no to anything. It's like... Okay, here I got an idea, and they were like, "Let's go for it!" But you haven't heard it yet. I don't care. Let's do it. And the next thing you know, you have man-eating piano and a flying head like out of the blue, and ocean of blood, and someone turning into bananas, and <laughs> a cat, and. Awkward love scenes and awkward implications of love. <laughs> there is everything. It, it does in this fucking movie. It has everything: magic, kung fu, comedy, horror, blood, drama, love, <laughs> implied lesbianism. Uh, y- There is that's a real
2: low key, like the ideas of of sexuality in this movie are super low key. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. these are supposed to be young girls, even though, of course, they didn't shy away from multiple nude scenes with these girls. Yeah. Which, yeah, which which is problematic. It, it is, But they are of age. I mean, the girls are of age. We're not talking about like underage porno here,
3: guys. No, we're not talking about, uh, you know, like Italian or uh, other European horror during the 70s that actually did feature uh, some younger actresses uh, sans clothing. No, they, they were all of age in this film. Thank God. But so, it didn't
2: stop them from implied. sexualizing yeah. these women.
3: Oh, yeah. No, it's I mean, Kung Fu. You know, she fought and like half the movies she spends fighting in her underwear. So, I mean, that, you know, you have that. You've got, you know, Gorgeous obviously uh, is named Gorgeous. They all at least two of them talk about crushing on the teacher. Yeah, they uh, do. Unfortunately, uh, for the because of the time, especially that it is, uh, they do sexualize these girls uh, fairly quickly. What surprised me about it the most, though, is as kinetic and as crazy and as batshit as things get and things that are definitely going to make anyone who watch it go, what the fuck? Um, I think even the most hardened
2: cinemaphiles oh, are yeah. going to go, what the fuck?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, <laughs> there's, there's it is a very unique film. There are very few, if any, films exactly like this. Actually, I don't think there are any films exactly like this. But all that said, all this weird stuff that they throw at you, there is actually a linear story at its core. There is a beginning middle and somewhat end to this film there's a mythology it all is worked into this batshit crazy stuff which i give mad respect to because there are people who have tried to mimic this type of film but Uh what they do in those films is they just throw as much crazy stuff at you but there's no actual story along no. with it there's just no this has a very
2: clear story very, it's very easy to actually follow this story what makes it sort of difficult is that the visuals are so kinetic the audio is so kinetic there's so much being thrown at you so many styles so much to take in from a visual standpoint that you maybe get sidetracked with that and aren't paying attention to the story it takes a few times for this movie for you to just, like, get past all of that Wha- and just watch this movie for its story. And it's actually quite a linear and quite a cute little story.
3: It is. And watching it a second time, it felt even more coherent than the first time I watched it. Because the first time, you're just like... W- dude there's a skeleton in the back he's dancing and and then he's dancing somewhere else in the scene in the background and he's got goofy eyes and and suddenly we got body parts flying everywhere and you know we've got this song that continuously shows up and a white cat with glowing green eyes and and, you know so you're bombarded with all that the first time you watch it but watching it a second time it felt even more coherent which was wild. I didn't expect mm-hmm. it to. As much mm-hmm. as as crazy the visuals still hit you at the same time, you you know what's coming and you can actually see the coherent storyline in here. And it is, it is actually a it's actually a cute story, an interesting story. And I I dug it. I mean the second time I I enjoyed it a lot better than the first time. Were you a tad just confused the first
2: time and kind of dumbstruck? I mean, did you like it the first time you watched it?
3: I did like it the first time I watched it, but it did have me scratching my head at the end of it going what did I just experience (laughs) because (laughs) you have so much coming at you. Yeah. I was still getting over the names of everybody. (laughs) (laughs) There's, I, I, there's another movie that I'd liken
2: this to like the experience of first time watching a house. Is almost like in uh, stylistically, they're not the same quality wise, they're not the same, but the experience is just so overwhelming that the, it's almost the same as Barry Gillis's things. Oh, yeah, like you watch either of these two movies and you're just so sidestruck by, like, where did this come from? I can't even take in. If there's a story right now, because I'm just so off put by the aesthetic qualities that are being thrown at me right now. I'm just trying to process images yeah, and sound at this point. So this is definitely one of those movies you got to let soak in. You got to watch it a few times. I know some people don't like that idea. They don't like the idea that they got to sit and appreciate art. They just want it to be easily consumable, and this could be easily consumable if you really want it to. I mean, it is just a smorgasbord of wild and crazy shit for you people that are out there that that love the heavy doobies (laughs) and, and partake in the grass, as the old people say. Definitely smoke those heavy doobies and watch this movie because it it is wild. I mean, let's you lift it listed off some of the stuff that that goes on in this movie. The film definitely feels like it's like a a playful fever dream. Yeah. It's very silly in tone, yet has some very emotionally charged scenes that are actually quite haunting in it. And uh it's it's kind of dreamy. It has this tinkling piano music that's played over and over and over and over again throughout the entire time. It's like a theme that keeps that. uh, What's her name? Melody plays. Yeah. Melody Uh, plays. A piano that eventually eats her. Um. I think it,
3: I think (laughs) it comes across on a music box too. It's, it's the song of the house. Right. Is what it is. Um, And yeah, it's that melody. You know what reminded me what it's going to sound weird, but some of the scenes, just a few of the scenes reminded me of uh, some work of um, uh, uh, like our neighbor to and you know uh, some of the other Asian fantasy animated films, um, uh, Miyaz- Miyazaki, Miyazaki, yeah. Miyazaki, Uh, You know a few of them, like the shot where they get off the bus, which by the way has a white cat on it. I loved that, of course, because white cat symbolism is is just throughout this entire film. Uh, but there's a shot. Well, in- the cat is the uh, almost the symbol of the house. It is the spirit. Yeah, it is it's the spirit of the house it's so it's showing up everywhere um the bus that takes them there the uh you know the it, and the paintings on the wall it, it's it's just everywhere but a couple of the scenes in here reminded me of stuff from like a miyazaki film you know uh, that fanciful kind of look to it um to where it's got a bit of surrealism to let you know mm-hmm. you aren't exactly in Reality throughout this entire film. This is not a film set in real life. It's set in a a, a fanciful world because, um, and the way the characters interact with each other. There's that wonderful scene. I I loved how they did this. She's talking about her aunt because they're going to her aunt's house. So they do a flashback, but rather than a voiceover over the flashback. The, the girls are staring at a photo and suddenly it cuts to a black and white film. And they're talking as if they're watching a black and white film.
2: <laughs> as if they're watching a film strip. Yeah. An old film strip. Yeah.
3: Even though they're on a bus looking at a still. And I I just love those elements like that in this film. It's just like it it is a fantasy world. And if people don't get get it immediately that. This is not meant to be set in a reality, you know, in a real world. The rules of real world are out the window. If you don't catch mm-hmm. that right away, uh, I think you're going to miss out on this film and just and just check out too early. I mean, you know, we get to see uh, Gorgeous when... The new mom shows up. There's this kind of fanciful music and the wind is blowing in her scarf. And, (laughs) you know, like it's just kind of dreamy type of thing to her. And no matter what scene she's in, you get that. Because later on, near the end of the film, she shows up. You get that same thing where she's got mm-hmm. the scarf blowing, and, you know. So it may seem wild, but there's consistency in this film with the characters. Uh, and yeah, I, the second time around, I noticed so much more. And I I, I just enjoyed it even more uh, mm-hmm. because I could focus on a few other things that were noticeable in it that uh you know the first time you're just trying to you're just trying to absorb the experience and there's right. so much you know to take in i mean they they come into the ants' mansion and the crystals on the chandeliers start sparkling and one falls and kills a lizard and then kung fu comes <laughs> in and kicks two more that might end up falling on one of the girls just how do Kung work?
2: Fu is a hilarious <laughs> character because oh. every single time something needs to be punched, you hear the, dang, 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 that whatever her you yeah, know her her stereotypical sure. yeah. martial arts music is, and she starts kicking things just arbitrarily, kicking and doing backflips and or all sorts of other shit.
3: But, but she rolls with everything. There's a scene in here where the b- wood that she was chopping up suddenly just starts flying at her and attacking her and she doesn't get like oh my god or whatever she goes hi yeah and all yeah, did you ex- <laughs> yeah, did you expect
2: to see a kung fu scene with wood no. with flying pieces of logs
3: no i did it it was beautiful because she just knocked them all, and she's like oh i'm done and, and that's like the the lackadaisical opinion of many people like all this weird stuff she's so like oh Yeah, that happened. You know, only fantasy seems to be freaking out at all the actual weird shit going on while everybody else is kind of like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean,
2: if you can't get into films that are mixed media, this is definitely not a film to get into. All of the exteriors are obviously sound stages with practical elements in them. But then all of the backdrops are huge matte paintings, like almost every single thing. Like they're in they're supposed to be in the town and it's clear it's just a matte painting behind them. And maybe like 10, 15 feet of it is a practical location for the actors to hang out on. Mm -hmm. Same with the bus ride. They're riding through these this beautiful picturesque mountain uh, scenery, but it's just a big painting and they stop the bus stops. In front of another matte painting that's in front of the matte painting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, there's just so much to take in in this film that. Once you get past the the onslaught of all this mixed media, you know the matte paintings, the the green screen where they green screen out half of people's bodies. There's a, a a head where one of the girl Mac gets her head cut off and she her head flies around and butt, bites one of their butts. And uh, there's there's
3: puppetry where one of the girls gets eaten by a fucking piano. Oh, I love um, that scene. That's I, I love that scene. That whole scene, the the psychedelic. Like keys that start kicking mm-hmm. in as she's playing them, and then it starts eating her, and she's getting chopped up in, in the piano wire. And that's it, it, such a great sequence. And yeah, the effects—you know—people the day were going all, but still, it's just a wild sequence that is so cool. You know? <laughs> yep.
2: There's, you can tell after this that this movie got out there a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's stuff like. The blood geyser out of the cat's mouth, which is so reminiscent of Evil Dead and so reminiscent of like a nightmare on Elm Street. Um, you have, oh man, there's the one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie of nonstop jaw dropping scenes. I mean, this starts from the beginning and doesn't stop until the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's weird jump. Oops, there's weird jump cuts. There's, I mean, it's all over the place. But one of my favorite uh, motifs in this and sequences is near the end when the house has basically consumed. All of the girls except for two, and they are trying to figure out how to stop the ghost so that they can escape. And the floor underneath them gives way to this huge pool of blood. Mm-hmm. And they're floating on just a piece of the floor. Yeah. While they're in like an ocean of blood, it is so fucking bonkers. <laughs> it's, it's one visually beautiful. Oh yeah, just it's, absolutely beautiful. But it's just like, where did <laughs> what the? Fu- I've never seen this before.
3: No, you you haven't, and that's the whole thing. And you can look at this film, and I know I've said it on some other films, but it, again. Why I love going back to some of these older films, because you can see how this elements in here show up later on in as a standard in horror films in the 80s. You can see some of the influences. I mean, you mentioned, you know, uh, Evil Dead and and just some of the elements in here. You're just like. Man, this is like early seeds for for the later film horror filmmakers. You 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 know the 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 piano eating people and the fantasy part of it, and uh, you know the, the with the cat, the whole thing with the cat and. There's just a lot of I I saw little elements in here and influences from past. I'm sure you caught it a number of times, Derek, being the mm-hmm. Italian horror fan that you are. I caught it more this time around, especially at least early on. There's some Italian, I think, horror influences in this, namely like with her room uh, mm-hmm. full of roses in the blue light and and the use of lighting for part of it. It felt... It felt like wow that has hints of you know stuff we've seen in in, in that time period from it like Italian horror films you know uh, the just wild room and production design that they had. Well, set. at
2: this, at that time as well, uh, Japanese uh, exploitation cinema. Um, had deep roots in that kind of very stylized uh, Mm -hmm. look as well. Many pinky films like you could point towards like the female prisoner, scorpion films and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. that were, I don't know if, because they were coming out along the same time as a lot of like the, the hard style uh, jolly. Sure. So it's hard to point where exactly that all came from. A Mm -hmm. lot of people like to talk like Bava is, is, you know the starting point of this really sure. stylized hard color lighting but japanese exploitation cinema of the 70s also was dabbling in this mm-hmm. and whether or not they got this from the italians i mean i i i'm not an expert so i can't really <laughs> speak to that I, but having seen enough of it i mean there's a deep pr- uh, tradition in uh the 70s japanese exploitation cinema that by 77 it was a it was fair it was a staple okay of it. Mm-hmm. so it could have. i mean it, some of argento stuff like the stuff that he was really well known for for that didn't come until around that time so i mean 77 yeah. uh, i'm trying to think when suspiria came out uh deep red still was Kind of around the time of he was still doing a lot of traditional, mm-hmm. uh more Hitchcockian filmmaking as opposed to the weirdo, you know, blood and black lace
3: Bava type stuff. Suspiria was S- 77.
2: Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, this stuff, I think you could point more towards it has to be through Va- Bava mm-hmm. and what he was doing. With a lot of the films he was making. So a lot of this just kind of like that world market of exploitation cinema mm-hmm. were just parasites. They were feeding <laughs> off of each other, you know, and mm-hmm. this obviously is a very ex, uh, like experimental film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It It is. Even though we you know, we've talked about how it has a very simple story. Its roots are an experimentation because nothing about it is conventional from a craft standpoint. That's what's overwhelming about this movie is that if you think you're going to watch um, one normal scene in this film, think again. There are (laughs) within every single scene, there is some visual motif that completely switches and turns the movie on its head. In a way that you didn't see prior. I mean, there's a, there's sequences where like, there's this one scene where the girls are all hanging out in a living room, kind of talking after they get to the house. And one girl, it just has her hands on her chin and is like blinking her eyes left, right, left, right. And then cuts to a uh, gorgeous, just staring off talking and it cuts between two camera shots that are slightly off of each other. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts back to the girl blinking again, left, right, left, right. In case you didn't quite catch what was fucking <laughs> going on there.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of was- e- experimentation in this. This is this is one where uh it is not a film that would show be shown by your film 101 storytelling professor going, look, here's how you frame a shot and here's how you tell it visually, because visually this story is so uh breaks rules and just does its own thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't
2: I just can't imagine how you plan for any of this without just kind of showing up on set and going we're going to do this
3: today (laughs) I imagine that's the way it probably was Is just uh, they weren't quite sure just okay this is what we're going to do today Uh, you're going to fight wood um, you, you know you're going to get eaten by a piano oh hey you're you're going to uh, have a head bite you in the butt and will be like okay
2: <laughs> here's here's the scene where uh uh severed fingers are going to play the piano by themselves i
3: love that i love the piano fingers <laughs> so what I, what's even better about that is the scene just before that her fingers get lopped off and she stares at him and she seems okay. She's just like, oh, I lost my fingers. But then when the thing, <laughs> but then the thing eats her hand and that makes her scream. Her little mm-hmm. fingers, eh, right? But, but when she loses her one hand, then she screams. And it, it was like, oh, man. Uh, you know, like Kung Fu fighting with a phone. Uh, <laughs> when she... Kung Fu fights with fucking everything. There's a scene where she kicks a wall. No, that was great. She's like she's like the tank of the group because they, they can't get a panel open. So they just go, oh, hey, Kung Fu. And she's like, got it. And she just comes and kicks a panel. She's got to kick something. She's got to kick something. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. And then when they get trapped in the house later on, she's just repeatedly kicking the walls. She's just like... Uh-uh.
2: I trying like to get out of there and there's freeze frames and she's doing flips. There's wire foo in this movie. Yeah. If there wasn't enough already, there's wire foo. It's oh my God, this there's pinpoint focus circles, like old silent films mm-hmm. that focused on like the cat or focus on somebody's face. And, uh, the aspect ratio of shot to shot to shot changes per whatever they
3: decide to do. Well, you get the, um, you get the tunnel shots too. Like uh, when we get the one shot where all the six girls are sitting on the bench, they're they're thinking they're going to go to the the summer camp or whatever, and uh, Gorgeous shows up like way off in the distance coming down the stairs all of a sudden after we meet all the characters the, the it uh, frame it, it the circle comes in to focus on her like almost like a cartoon uh, and, and circle just in the background and it, you get that a couple of times throughout this film where suddenly you get that uh, you know I'm not sure what what they call it but you just get that that circle like the cartoon Iris like just on that person and just out of nowhere you're like uh, okay. Um. Usually, it was involving when you were when they were looking for gorgeous. Actually, so he stayed consistent there. Um,
2: well, I think there are you know motifs that happen throughout the film mm-hmm. uh visual, audio, and thematic motifs uh, per the characters. Um, at first, it it seems arbitrary and random, uh, but as you subsequently watch the film more, it's very clear there there are themes that are running throughout the entire movie now was there anything in the movie Mark that you didn't particularly enjoy that was too
3: much maybe for you um, not really <laughs> um, because as much as the wild stuff happens uh, it really as crazy and what sounds like is random things actually all play into the story Oh, as much as things seem to might get off track, they're not actually off track. The, the ant crawling into a refrigerator and disappearing. And then, <laughs> you know, she's actually dancing in the rafters and you pick up. I
2: love that. I love the, the ant. She is a wonderful character and a wonderful actress in this movie.
3: Oh, she's fantastic in here. And I love just the new. It's definitely, you know, the early cinema where they're not holding your hand. But if you paid attention for just a minutia of a moment, you'll pick up exactly what's going on with the ant the minute she gets up out of the wheelchair. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you know, and I, yeah. that's what I love. We, we don't go into anything, but, you know, OK, all right, this happened and now she's getting out of the wheelchair uh-huh okay <laughs> you know and and you it clicks and all the and then that explains all the wild stuff going on in the house and mm-hmm. there wasn't really anything uh you know there wasn't anything that really detracted me from the film at all uh you know even even the ending i got a kick out of the ending uh you know maybe if there was one thing i had to maybe the teacher Making it out to the mansion <laughs> just to be turned into bananas, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, I love that sequence. I, oh, I, don't get me wrong, I love it. But if there was maybe one thing that you could possibly, you know, not have because it really doesn't contribute really anything. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, But that's minor. I I still love it and and would keep it in there. There's not a whole lot I didn't enjoy about this film because um, the way it's constructed, uh, it's actually, everything's related. The crazy shit actually is related to, Mm -hmm. it contributes to the story. And that's where I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode that, People who have tried to replicate batshit crazy films seem to miss that point, and they just throw random stuff, whereas here, random stuff that seems to be random is actually related even remotely to the actual main plot of the film, and that's what made the 80s parodies, like we talked about UHF and that, and the early Zucker Brothers. They had an actual story and they worked the comedy skits and the parody within into that story. So it, it contributed a little bit and hardly diverged. Whereas later on in the later parody films, like the scary movies and that and, you know, the epic pictures and all those really horrible parodies. It was just skit to skit. To skit, and there was, oh, yeah, there was really no story. I mean, this, if there was a story, it was really stretching it, but it was you're it, just looking for pop, you're looking for
2: time sensitive pop. That's all those movies are
3: right. Whereas, whereas the early parodies and this one, too, the, these comedies they had the story and then they worked all these crazy and fun sequences into their that actually do contribute a little or a lot to the actual plot of the film. It moves along. Kung fu. Yeah. Fighting everything, but her skills, you establish her enough to later on, you're buying into the fact that out of all these girls, she's the one that lasts the longest uh, <laughs> until she gets eaten by a lamp. Um, <laughs> she doesn't, she oh doesn't, she doesn't, she, doesn't the only the, way, she doesn't let the lamp deter her from, completing her mission.
2: (laughs) Nope. Nope. She's cut in half and her legs are determined to
3: kick the cat in the face (laughs) to end it all. I'm like, Oh great. Kung fu's dead. Wait, Oh no, wait, there's the lower half of her torso and the feet still kick the painting. I'm like, Oh my God, that's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You,
2: you have a really good point here and I, I really do want to stress at least from my perspective and I've been watching this movie for a really long time I I bought the Criterion uh, Blu-ray when it came out I believe in like 2010 something like that Um, that's that's how come I mean Janice films and Criterion are the ones who brought this thing back into consciousness I think it fell into obscurity and nobody really knew too much about it until they did the restoration and brought it back and it's what a treasure. Um, this, I do think nothing, everything is random, but nothing is random. Right. In this movie. It all makes sense. It's all there for a purpose. Um, a film you could tie it to, which is another mixed media kind of uh, phantasmagoric film would be Kuso um, from a, a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where I do feel that's absolutely random. Mm hmm. I that's a film where I, I could see that it, it had seen House and loved it and it's also a comedy made by comedians but it it feels so it's edgy for the sake of edgy and random for the sake of random mm-hmm. where um, the experimentation and randomness in House is done in an intelligent thematic
3: way well Cuso plays out more like an anthology in many ways It's not like a really full story I mean I I dug it but yeah it is more random uh, there's there's less of a con- coherent linear story in there uh, you are right some of it is edgy to be just edgy. I enjoyed the stories that they did come up with but it, it almost felt more like an anthology. Mm-hmm. Film with a loosely tying a uh, wraparound story of sports right. to it, yeah. The way everything played out, um, you know, whereas you can, yeah, you definitely see the influences of, of the approach that they took with Cuso. You can definitely uh, probably tie it back to uh, house influencing how that film came together. Um, You know, and still, yeah, with house wastes, it, it doesn't waste. I mean, it is impressive how they work it in. But you've got to watch it at least a few times to catch that. Oh, hey, wait a minute. All of this is kind of connected. Yeah, it, it's wild. But here we have this cat imagery throughout, you know, uh, gorgeous has the roses in her room. And actually that shows up later on in the film. She's holding a flower, you know, uh, it's just, yeah. uh, There's, I don't, you could see the influences, but this is one of those films where it's, it's unique. And I don't think you could really pull it off again. I'm not saying you couldn't. I'm sure someone might, might out there and try, but it just it's one of those things where it was a first like you know of its kind pulling something like that and sometimes those firsts are the first and only uh, because Mm -hmm. you you just can't replicate it because if you do try to replicate it you're trying too hard
2: (laughs) well it comes off forced
3: yeah yeah you know it, it it doesn't roll off whereas this Really feels like I mean the fact that it, it took him a while to make it too probably helped, but I'm sure it, it was rewritten a number of times. But this just rolls off; it, it just keeps moving. This film is just keeps moving. There is no really slow down.
2: No, in the- absolutely, it doesn't give you a chance to breathe whatsoever.
3: It it does not. It just keeps coming at you even to the end where it does seem like the slowdown is where the new mom is coming out to see her uh, gorgeous. Uh, even those scenes, the way he edits, which is interesting because films of that a- era, at least the ones that I've caught all kind of had a reputation of having longer shots or having scenes, you know, uh, very few, not always having so many cuts, and this one has a huge amount of cuts in it. Oh,
2: insane amount of editing in this movie! <laughs> insane, it is mind-boggling. I mean, just the amount of pure like, and this was done at the time where you didn't have Lon, non 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 lawn Cheney editors, no <laughs> non-linear editors uh, at your disposal. You're talking hard cuts on film to do just the amount of skittish, uh, speed ramping that's going on in between like some of the I think all the like you you had talked about the film strip section where yeah. you know we're reminiscing about the aunt and her losing her husband in uh, Nagasaki in the war and and all of that is done very jump cutty super speed sped up then there's other stuff that's intercut with uh, where you have a lot of comp work going on along with matte painting and green screen work and, and jittery uh, freeze frame motion, there's stuff where they do uh, proper, you know, slow motion oh, yeah. and there's stuff where they take the 24 frames and slow the 24 frames down. So it's jittery. <laughs> there's all sorts of different styles that are literally just experimented on on the film. So editing of this movie is so groundbreaking for like what it's attempting to do when today we take for granted, like we watch something like say house of a thousand corpses yeah, that has a very, you know, slap dash, throw everything at the wall editing style Mm -hmm. that really back in the day wasn't necessarily a thing. Right. Um, it's all done so differently now, even though that I, I wonder that had to be done on a, on a, Old cuts based system as well because that was in like what ninety nine, yeah. When House of a Thousand forces was made, I mean it was released oh,
3: around two thousand two, but it was shelved for almost four fucking years. Yeah, it, uh, even though it came out early two thousands, I remember that that it was it was so that would have still probably been film. Yeah, so that probably isn't even a great
2: example. I mean, maybe some of it's like, well, three for three from hell has some unique editing choices that are are not necessarily things that would have flown back in the day. Yeah. So it's totally like to just watch this thing and it and enjoy it from just a standpoint of, wow, what a technical marvel this fucking thing is looking at it as a, a tactician and, and a craftsman is just, there's so much to glean off of this movie
3: and i think it, that's what's sad is that i think some people don't realize and like you said kind of take for granted what's at your fingertips when you look at some of the stuff especially the mid to late <laughs> 70s what they were doing they're doing that on film they're mm-hmm. doing that with film camera destructive
2: media destructive yeah. editing
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, this is stuff to where you got to be careful where you cut your frame. Uh, (laughs) You know, I mean, purposeful with cutting it. You you know, you had to have it planned out more. So when you get a film like this, you 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 got to realize and you should appreciate like like you said, the technical aspect of it of what they're doing in this movie is is had to be a post production and even production insanity for however many notes they may or may not have they he had to have this <laughs> boarded out at least a little because uh you only have so much film and right. as well so to to do this like you said the comping i mean near the end we get a shot where the mom makes it to the village and there's a skeleton and and banana boat man, um, and <laughs> she's walking on what is obviously a set towards to look at the mansion in quotes, which is a matte painting or a miniature that that's composited into the set, obviously, but they try to match the camera movement enough with it, you know, so it would it, it seems like it's all one. I mean, yeah, for the fact that they did it's not entirely successful, but it's unique looking, it's unique looking, and mad props for them of going for it, <laughs> you know, of, of attempting something like that. Uh, you know, taking a risk, which uh, this film has a lot of that, and I loved it. I loved it. This, I fell in love with it more the second time around, I really did because I was able to compartmentalize and kind of frame out the craziness and, and kind of focus a little bit more on other aspects of it. I'm going, Mm -hmm. I can see why you love this film. So I mean, this film is just, it's a treasure box.
2: It's absolutely something new to look at and decipher and glean every single time you watched it. I've watched, I watched this movie today. And I loved it more than any other time that I've ever watched it. And I say that every single time that I watch it, I watched it maybe like two, three months ago. And I was just like, God damn, why am I not watching this every month? Why am I not watching this every week? And before that, I I mean, this is just one of those movies that if you appreciate movies that uh, kind of want to be live action cartoons. Yeah. That's essentially what house is. It's just this weird, bonky, wonky, like mixed media, live action cartoon, uh, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) Scooby-Doo mixed with a drug, a drug horror film. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, then you're going to dig this. If you're just your basic square basic bitch, you're not going to like this movie whatsoever. (laughs) It's 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 too much. There's just it, it really is just too much. If you like smoking heavy doobies (laughs) and watching weird fucked up shit,
3: house is it? Watch Uh, fucking house. Definitely, I fully agree on that. Yeah, you just—it's one of you should watch because it—it's a unique film. Dude, I honestly
2: think this is as I'm getting older. The things that I used to feel. Where, you know, I've said this so many times, and I'm sure you're sick of hearing me say this. I don't necessarily ever when people say, well, what are what's your favorite movie? I, I, I never answer that question. Yeah, I don't have an answer to that question. Because my tastes constantly are changing my perception is constantly changing my ideas of what what who what and who i am are constantly changing so how can i just say this one concrete thing is something that you know what def- defines what i like and it, what i think is the best thing ever that's just something i i can't do as i'm getting older this movie may be almost one of my, like my top five favorite things on the face of the planet <laughs> I, I'm literally every time I watch it I love it mm-hmm. so much more that it's 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 strange like the stuff that I thought I really really liked man I was so fucking wrong <laughs> I'm just or maybe I'm just becoming weirder i don't know what the answer to that is there's an oddly becoming an existential uh conversation here mark refined you're becoming more refined uh this is what the people pay pay me money for these podcasts for is for for me to just sound like an absolute idiot thinking he knows what the fuck he's
3: talking about you 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 know what you're talking about if even if no one else does and uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's right they're all fucking idiots listening to Astro Radio Z.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> Hi. I'm Angelique. There's nothing better at the end of a long day than a hot bath and a good book. Now I'm not talking your highfalutin literature like your your Jane Eyre or your Wuthering Heights. I'm talking candy bars for your brain. The kind of books you'll find gathering dust at the Bilo or your local used bookstore. Books about monsters, ghosts, demons, werewolves, draculas, killers, surgical abominations, or just about any other horror you can dream up. So, plug the drain, grab you a book, and come soak with me in the Tub of Terror. Hi, and welcome back to the Tub of Terror. It's your constant reader and constant bather <laughs> or bubble bather as I as I should say Angelique. I'm really glad to be back with you all. It's been a while. I hope everybody had a good uh, holiday season and that you're all staying safe and healthy. I am with the aid of Solitude and Bubble (laughs) Bats. Oh, me. But uh, doing something a little different this time. Um, I'm not covering a new-to-me book, but in the spirit of just wanting some comfort in these trying times, I thought I would just read a book that brings me a lot of pleasure is actually one of my very favorite books now uh, that I discovered a couple of years ago. Um, it's called A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. And if you know me in my personal life, um, you've heard me talk about this book more than likely. <laughs> it's one of those, you know, that you read periodically because it's just, it's like wrapping up in your favorite blanket is just a good solid story and what better than a possession story you know I love a good possession story you know give me a possession an exorcism you know I'm there (laughs) but this is one of those books kind of like the stand kind of like the shining you know um Edgar Allan Poe's works that you just, that's in the rotation. You know, you're going to read whatever you want to read, but then the mood comes around like, you know what? No, I want to read this one. And every time I read it, I pick up something a little bit different, Um, but it's just that good to make. I suggest that you go pick it up. I'll just tell you right off the bat, we're breaking all the rules. We're breaking all the format. This book is extremely ducky. It gets all the ducks, all the quacks, everything. Go get this book. Get it on physical. Get it on Kindle. Get it on Audible. I don't care. Get it. Read it. It's fantastic. You want to know what it's about? I'll tell you what it's about but I'm not going to spoil the ending because it is a good ending and it's one that you don't see coming. So, let's get into it. A handful of ghosts follows the Barrett family. It's told uh, by the narrator who is the youngest daughter, Meredith, or Mary, as she prefers to be called. And this family went through some rough times. Um, Their father got laid off in the middle of a recession and, you know, hadn't been able to find a job. They were extremely poor. And the oldest daughter, Marjorie, is going through some stuff. Some bad stuff. Some scary stuff. Some things that, at the time, eight-year-old Mary didn't understand and affected the entire family horribly. So it comes to pass that it is determined by their dad and a reverend preacher, Father Wanderley. Um, it's not said exactly what denomination, but I'm going to assume it's Catholic because of the whole exorcism thing, um, that Marjorie's possessed. You know, she's been going to doctors, she's been taking medicine, and things are getting worse and escalating in horrific ways, and it's tearing the family apart. You know, mom is stressed out, she's the only person working and trying to raise two daughters trying to carry a household. You know, dad's doing his best trying to find a job, but he's getting into a kind of depression himself and has turned to uh, extreme religion to cope. And they just don't know what to do. Well, once it's determined, and I'm putting that in rabbit ears, you can't see me, that uh, Marjorie is possessed, all of a sudden there's a reality show. Yeah. So it's not clear exactly what year this story takes place, but it is um, super modern. Um, we talk about the impact of Duck Dynasty. They talk about uh, finding Bigfoot. Um, That's the little eight-year-old Mary's favorite show. (laughs) She wants to find Bigfoot almost as bad as I do, but not for the same reasons. I just want to find Bigfoot. I think they're out there. But anyway, so some deal with Father Wonderly and the church. They have now a reality series taping their family. While their oldest daughter is going through just terrible, terrible episode, um, it's not outright stated, um, but I think it's it something like schizophrenia, like severe schizophrenia. You know, she's hearing things, she's telling stories, she's acting out physically. <sighs> It's bad. It's bad. Some scary, scary stuff goes down. And all the while, you know, this is a 14-year-old going through all of this. Her 8-year-old sister, who thinks she's hung the moon, is watching all of this and going through all of this and is basically just kind of dragged along for the process. So a lot of the tale is told in flashback. It's adult Mary telling the story, uh, to an author. Um, it's 15 years after the show aired and the show was called The Possession. Um, so they're doing kind of a retrospective and, you know, a, a true crime-ish kind of book about the Barrett family and what happened between, you know, Marjorie, the family, and the show split up in the middle of all of this, there's interstitial pieces of a blog called the last final girl who is going episode by episode through the possession series, you know, because it was a limited series. Once the exorcism happened, you know, the show was over. (laughs) Um, But that's one of the things that I really, really enjoy about a head full of ghosts is this, uh, the blog uh, because the, the voice of the blog, is comforting. I guess because it's it's familiar. Reminds me of me a little bit, which you know, when you find a character that reminds you of yourself, it's you know, it kind of feels good. You know, maybe I'm not such a weirdo after all. <laughs> mm. But anyway, um, the book it's a short read. It's not that long, but it's fast. It goes by, but it's so rich. Like it brings in all these elements like Westboro Baptist type protesters. It brings in the politics and and the kind of the back end of reality television. You know, an eight-year-old is savvy enough to know that Just because they're recording everything doesn't mean that what ends up on TV is really what happened. And nobody knows really what happened, including Mary herself, because she was so young. She was just a little girl when all this went down. And so much, you know, awful just happened. And in case you can't tell, which is... um, Kind of a spoiler, but not really. The uh the family is dead, except for Mary. Um I'll leave you to read the book to find out what happened to everybody, but it's sad. Um and it kinda makes you take a really harsh look, like wow, you know, if things had gone a little different everything would have changed. That's really bleak. Wow, I've made this sound like such a downer, but I, I, can't, I can't tell you how happy this book made me the first time that I read it. I was floored. And I know you will be too. So seriously, go grab a copy of A Headful of Ghosts pop into a bubble bath. When you're done with the bubble bath, you don't have to stop reading. Wrap yourself up in a big old blanket, grab some coffee, and finish it. You're gonna love it. Well, my water's getting chilly and my fingers are all pruney, so I'm gonna drain my water here. And I hope that you'll come hang out in the tub with me again for our next episode same bath time same bath channel
3: this is astro radio z and we love talking about movies with you if you are looking for more episodes and want to become part of the show Go to patreon.com forward slash astroradioz and become a monthly subscriber to have access to 100 plus bonus episodes of content. Jump in. Make Astro Radio Z yours and become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash astroradioz.
2: for starting off 2022 with us here on Astro Radio Z. Can you believe this episode marks the 10 year anniversary of this podcast? It's flabbergasting to me that we've lasted this long. We almost didn't. There's been multiple times where this almost completely collapsed and this was it. But thanks to you and thanks to my hard-headedness we're still going strong here on astro radio z and i thank each and every one of you listeners for making that happen so until next time please take care of yourself stay healthy and stay safe and i'll see you later